Have you heard of Nordic Knots? The Scandinavian rug company that has become the insider brand gracing some of the most beautiful homes around the world? With rug designs by some of the world's leading designers and a signature collection of wool and jute rugs in modern colors? But Nordic Knots is not just about great design. Their mission is to make quality rugs that last, with no compromises. Goodweave certified, handmade pieces woven in all natural materials. At NordicKnots.com, it's easy to find a rug that's just right. A curated collection in lots of colors and sizes to choose from. Even custom sizes are possible. So, whether you're the type who loves the understated elegance of their luxury essentials or the bold statements from their top designer collaborations, you can't really go wrong. Oh, and don't tell anyone, but right now, you can get a free sample with the code INNERCIRCLE. NordicKnots.com for another edition of T Watts and TR on the Bama online podcast. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL joined alongside site publisher, Tim Watts, uh, Tim, a lot to get into as we head into the final few days of the month of February, 2021. First and foremost, these last couple of days, Tim, I'm sure over there in the greater Birmingham area has been much the same, but what about this baseball weather, Tim, this baseball weather in late February, we, we were talking about an entirely different environment just a week ago, weren't we? Yeah. I mean, my, uh, my oldest son's play, we played uh, Tuesday. Weather was perfect. Excellent baseball weather up to that point. It had been cold. We had game canceled. Um, Cause I mean, there's not, there's really nothing worse than cold baseball. I don't play golf, but I imagine Freezing cold, windy golf's not much fun if you do it in that weather. But baseball's similar to that. Um, you sort of expect, you know, peanuts. You sort of expect smells and heat and sunburns. But, yeah, having that weather this week's been huge. And I know for all over the country, I mean, we had some bad weather in the south. Texas, it was awful, man. South, south didn't have water for four days. I know. That's uh, terrible. The, the Eagle Scout he is may do, as I didn't doubt it. He sent me a video of gathering snow, boiling it in on the back on the back burner he had, and then creating a bath and face water. So Hank Rambo. Hank. Uh, yes. the, he would never stab anyone. Separated at birth sibling of John Rambo, as we know, out there in the state of Texas. But no, in all seriousness, tough, tough time. So uh hopefully for those folks they're thawing out and uh at least uh able to get back to some semblance of semi-normalcy because with everything else going on, as we know, we're still not quite there yet as if everything else wasn't enough. On Wednesday, the weather was so nice. I got out to uh, Sewell Thomas Stadium, Tim, Alabama baseball, looking to get off to a 5-0 and start. I don't know if it was me. Maybe it was the freshman pitching, uh, but Alabama baseball suffered its first loss of the young season, 9-4 to at the hands of the Nighthawks of UT Martin. And by the way, we will tie in Martin, Tennessee for you later in the program because you're going to have an important recruiting announcement coming up on Friday where one of the very top quarterbacks for the class of 2022 is concerned. So just trying to make it come full circle with UT Martin in town 
for some baseball, but such a beautiful day. It got me to sort of wondering about my favorite, favorite Alabama sports venue, not named Bryant Denny stadium. Which one of those would be at the top of that list for you? I, I have a, have a little bit of a tough time with that. I will tell you this Coleman Coliseum for all the history and everything else. It's not in my top three. Uh, but what would you have up there next up behind Bryant Denny stadium on the Alabama campus? You know, you're talking basketball. Or are we talking any sport? You can, any sport, any UA venue, the Joe, uh, you can go with Coleman Coliseum. Uh, you can go in the Wayback machine with Foster auditorium. You can go with, uh, the roads, uh, uh, road stadium. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put road stadium. I, I know you're probably not much of a softball guy, but uh, when they get when they're able to pack that place out for Alabama softball, it, it's as fun of an environment as there is on the Alabama campus. That's so like baseball stadium, I feel that same way. The SEC games I've been to are packed. Baseball crowds, the smaller they are, the better they are. Especially, you know, when you've got you know when you got good weather, you got people laying around. It's got more of that. I mean, I know if you've been to major leagues, you know, baseball stadiums. If you go to the Braves, it's newer. The Yankees, it's newer. State of the art. It doesn't have the same field. But a college one is more like Wrigley Field or maybe you know Fenway Park. It's smaller. You see people. You see kids kids playing in the background and all. So I always love a good baseball game there. Yeah, you know, on Wednesday, the the capacity obviously is reduced uh, at the Joe like it is at at the other UA venues right now. Uh, and the student area they've got now out there, the right field Rangers, I guess, uh, that, that area on Wednesday afternoon, it had to be right at capacity for what they were allowing in there. It was fun, man. They had a lot of students out there. They're able to bring in their six packs of beer if they're of age, of course. And then just, uh, the general crowd there at the Joe, uh, again, understanding limited capacity, very impressive. And certainly the weather, I'm sure had a lot to do with that. And Brad Bohannon and the staff continue to put a quality product on the field. That doesn't hurt either. Um, Another Alabama team on Wednesday that suffered a defeat. This one, the Alabama men's basketball team out there on the road at Arkansas. Arkansas wins 81-66. Alabama still very much in control of its fate where it comes to the SEC regular season championship chase, but Tim, this game in particular, it, it started with a with a with a tight whistle. Uh, it was called closely from the outset. Looked like we were going to have both teams shooting a ton of free throws by the end of the night. As it turned out, though, you had one team in Arkansas shooting forty three free throws on Wednesday night, and an Alabama team that shot just eight. Your thoughts on that game on Wednesday night? I mean, it was just absurd. I mean, the thing about refs, and I'll say this in a win, is they can take the entire watchability of a game right out. When they're mm-hmm. blowing whistles and everything, and then it's inconsistent. I mean, that was not a fun game to watch. Um, I don't know if Arkansas, I'm sure they had more fun, but I think Arkansas fans will probably agree. It wasn't a whole lot of, there wasn't a lot of rhythm to it. The second half was a little bit better. First half was terrible. 43-8, to eight, I haven't seen that since you know, the church league, um, <laughs> when Reverend John was on the, the road, on the road in the church league. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that was kind of absurd. I mean, that's a little bit embarrassing even, but I will say there's not a lot of excuses. Alabama didn't play well. 
This is a team they beat by almost 30. I mean, obviously, Arkansas is better. Arkansas is a really good team. I'm not going to – I mean, they are a good team. They're a sweet 16-type talent, in my opinion. Um, so, it's you know, it's not the fact they were – it's not they weren't playing a good opponent. It was just they didn't play particularly well. Um, the free throws stacked up and, you know, in the opposite direction. I mean, that's a, that's a huge swing. 24 – they made 24 more free throws than Alabama did in a 15-point loss. Um just wasn't a good game. Never had a good feel. I mean, you saw a little bit of Alabama at the end of the first half, and then the start of the second half, they had that spurt that was really nice. But other than that, they were outplayed most of the game. Yeah, you had a Arkansas player in Moses Moody who made twice as many free throws, 16, as Alabama took as a team. Moses Moody made 16 free throws. Alabama took eight. <laughs> That's that kind of sums it up. And I'm with you when it's called that way, especially from the outset. And Doug Shaw's got it going early with the charge call. And, and it probably was a charge on her. But um, the game just never gets going. The, the, there's no flow. Uh, as you said, the watchability shrinks considerably. Uh, but as you also said, th- this this isn't to say that it was entirely about the the the, the whistles, because. Alabama was deserving of more than a few of those calls last night, especially I think it was three on three point shots by Arkansas that were especially egregious. So again, UA was not without fault. And as Nate Oates said, post game, you got to play through that stuff anyway, especially when you're a veteran oriented team, more so when you're young, I guess, or you're freshman oriented. I think you saw saw some of that frustration from the players too. And, Sure. They thought they were fouled and stopping and looking at the referee. You know, that's when you're doing that, you're not getting back on defense. Um, obviously, that's in your head a little bit. And hey, I don't blame them. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen it. I've been there. I know how it can get in your head. You can get frustrated and get upset. Um, you already walk in knowing you're playing in a pretty good team and a pretty good, a really hostile environment. So, um, you know, I think it's a little motivation. They got to win one of the last two. Arkansas is definitely a good team. They still. Alabama's got two tough opponents. Um, you know, they got the rivalry with Auburn. They're at Mississippi State. And uh, I believe Arkansas has LSU at home. LSU's a danger, a weird team. LSU's a weird team. Mm-hmm. They have beat like they have beat Auburn, you know, pretty mercilessly the last time they played, I believe, and then lost at Georgia. So very a little bit heckling heckling uh Jive, well, I can't even think of the name. Jekyll and Hyde. Or Heckle and Jerkel. When I started Heckle out with Jekyll. It was, <laughs> I started out with heckle. I knew the game was over. I just dropped it. To you. <laughs> you just got to keep rolling with it at yeah. that point. Um, yeah. I mean, Nate Oates isn't going to let his team, his guys off the hook for their performance last night. And even likewise, he's going to look inside at himself for some things that he even might would like to have back. And, you know, when this team starts games, Oh, for nine from three before finally making one first half midway through the first half, like Javon Quinterly did, on Wednesday night, it's probably going to be a struggle for him. Give him credit, though. Jordan Bruner was a real bright spot seeing him get back to that. shooting the three effectively. Jawan Gary certainly looked healthy, Tim. Yeah, I think, you know, with me last night, sort of when you look at the uh, field goals attempting, you've got Petty with eight. He was the third, the shot the third most shots. I think with a guy like that on the road with the senior, a guy who can get hot, who can give you two or three baskets in a row, it would have been big for him to sort of, you know, shoot it up there a little bit more. I thought Quinterly played a good game. 
Um, Herb was, you know, Herb was, Herb was, Herb was getting banged up a pretty good bit, had five turnovers. So, um, I think that would have been a chance. Pre, I keep waiting for Primo to sort of come out of this little, I wouldn't call it a slump, but he hasn't been in as assertive as he was earlier in the year. And that guy's good. He can get to the, you know, he can get to the rim. He can put it on the floor. He can shoot the three. So I think as we get, you know, heading into this tournament, whether SEC, NCAA tournament, I'd like to expect to see Petty. Primo, you know, you're sort of going to live or die with those guys in a lot of ways. There's not many times if they're not super active that Alabama uh, is going to win. But, you know, with Petty, I mean, he was four for eight and only shot two of three from three-pointers. That's not a lot of shots for John Petty. You're right. 35 minutes, just eight (laughs) shots. Yeah, that's a guy you expect more volume from. I I really would have expected in a game like this where they lose by 15 that Petty would have been – Three of thirteen from the floor. When you when you see it at four and eight, you're like, chuck it up there, big guy. Exactly. You're you're the heat check for this team in a lot of games. Yeah, and with all the foul shooting by Arkansas, as you might imagine, foul problems for Alabama. Herb fouls out once again in 24 minutes of action. Shackelford early foul problems had three in the first half. Fouls out. Plays 21 minutes, just five points after the big performance against Vanderbilt last weekend. Petty also fouls out, gets in 35 minutes of work, though. So you got your your load, your your workload out of him that you sort of anticipate. But typically, if Herb, Shackelford, and Petty combine for 21 points, uh, it's going to take a pretty heroic effort from someone else. And as you said, Quinterly with 13, that was nice. But uh, Bruner picked up the slack, obviously, especially there in the latter stages of the first half, not so much there in the second half. But it isn't the end of the world, folks, as Tim outlined. you got Mississippi State coming up Saturday in Starkville. That is a 5 o'clock Central tip. That game will air on the SEC Network. That'll be a tough matchup in terms of style preference from Mississippi State and also the size that Mississippi State brings to the table, especially in the post. Auburn in here midweek next week. Auburn pretty much custom-made stylistically for Alabama. And also, Tim, looks like Sharif Cooper the freshman point guard for the Tigers dealing with an ankle injury. So we'll see what his status is. And, you know, you consider seeding too, I guess, Tim, for the NCAA tournament, big picture wise, and what, how that could have, or maybe not been impacted by the loss at Arkansas. But for me, I don't know about you. We get so caught up about seeding one seed, two seed. I'm more interested in who the hell I draw. You know what I'm saying? Like you can make me a high, I'd rather be a high three in a lot of instances than a a low two, depending on where you put me in a bracket, which region you put me in. I don't know how you feel about that. No, I agree. I mean, all one seeds, all two seeds and all three seeds aren't equal. I mean, you'll see a one seed who the four seed they gets a handful, and then you'll see a bracket of the top eight where you, you know, you would, you would almost kill to be any of those top eight because they're, you know, Obviously, the one's going to be better, but the eight's good enough there to compete. So, yeah, it's all about – it's not just about the seeding, the number. It's about who do you get. The seeding doesn't mean a whole lot. The matchups is what, you know, is going to be important to Alabama. Yeah, I'm more interested in my draw, you know, than I am. Well, we're a one seed. Well, great. You got the highest two with you maybe. Or you're the – you're the – you're you met, you uh, eked out a two seed, but you're in the same region with, say, Gonzaga right. uh, or something I, like that. I, say it'd be cool to be a one seed so i get that from a fan perspective but i don't think it was an end-all be-all i didn't enter the season thinking alabama's going to be a one seed you know that what that wasn't something i thought of thought about i thought they were going to be you know top 16 team 
top 20 type team, you know, at the end of the year, I, I knew there were some working parts that had to sort of blend in together. And we've seen that. I think we're still seeing the growing pains with them. So the one seed would be, would be awesome. But I mean, it's not, you, you can flip it over to college football. You know, it doesn't really always matter if you're the one or four, two or three. I mean, you got to, you know, you're going through some competition to get there, but I agree with you. You don't want to be a two, three or four in Gonzaga's bracket. You want to stay at the, <laughs> right now. You want to, you want to let everybody else take their shots at them. Um, yeah. I, I find being a three, uh, somewhere other than Gonzaga or Baylor's brackets, probably, you know, yep. if you put me with Ohio state or Michigan or someone else, I'm, I'm okay with that. I would think That's obviously but, the, two, the two best teams, you know, right now. So that would make sense. And JD Davison, we learned in the last couple of days, Tim, the 2021 signee for Nate Oates, the five-star point guard uh, in-state product is a McDonald's all American. That's always a nice honor. Even if, we're unfortunately not able to have the game itself these days. Oh yeah. I mean, you get those guys that's high profile. I mean, I, I think I was pretty much a given top 10 type talent. I think everybody has him ranked there explosive and fun. I mean, I'm really curious to see what he can do. I mean, he still has to, you know, you, you sort of want that guy, you know, that you have to tell to slow down a little bit. I think JD, <laughs> he goes so fast. He plays so hard. Um, you know, he's 90 to nothing. So I think you're going to see a little bit of that, but I mean, that he's going to, he's going to do some explosive things at Alabama next year. I mean, he's going to be fun to watch. Uh, you know, Alabama fans have been blessed. They've had going back to Enos Watley and probably before they've had some of the best point guards to watch Terry Connor, you know, you know, going all the way back, uh, in the day you know, recently is Mo and Kyra. And I, dude, I watch the Pelicans every night. Kyra is still the fastest guy on the court. <laughs> He is. It's amazing. I mean, you put him on the NBA court, you floor, you expect him to maybe slow, look a little slower, not as fast, not as bouncy. This kid is crazy athletic still. Just contest every pass ball, you know, still working through it. But, yeah, Alabama fans are going to like what they see when he gets to uh, Tuscaloosa. Speaking of recruiting, we're going to take a break here on T. Watts and TR as a part of the Bama Online Podcast. When we come back, Uncle Tim – is going to give us story time. We're going to go back and revisit the 2006 Alabama football recruiting class. I had to give Uncle Tim a little bit of a pep talk going into this one. I don't know if Tim was all that excited, but I think the stories are great. And uh, I think we'll we'll come to learn that a lot of these guys, or at least a handful of these guys, were central figures in some championship teams that uh, came down the road with the Nick Saban era being ushered in there in 2007 in Tuscaloosa. We'll do that. We'll also preview the announcement for Martin, Tennessee quarterback, Ty Simpson. We'll do that with Tim coming up and we'll also go off the beaten path as we're apt to do on the show from time to time. Leonardo Wilhelm DiCaprio. This is top role, best role to date for Leo. We'll get into some of that when the Bama online podcast returns right after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month, So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Back with more of the Bama Online podcast. It is a T. Watts and TR edition of the pod. And Tim, I don't know, man. This 2006 Alabama football recruiting class, when I presented this to you, the old excitementometer didn't exactly go off the scale there. But, you know, we talked it through and uh, we're going to have some fun with that. It was a class, Tim, that was ranked 13th nationally at the time, fifth in the SEC when it the league was still limited to 12 teams. Um, do we remember this class more, though, Tim, for who Alabama got? Or do we remember it more for perhaps the one guy it didn't get in 2006? Now, obviously, Tim Tebow was the one most talked about. Andre Smith, don't get me wrong, Andre Smith got a ton of credit. He was the one I enjoyed covering the most. I love covering the Tebows, the mother the family was good to me in a very, very hectic situation. It was kind of odd how I met the family. I had uh, Neil Cottle's mom, uh, who's a quarterback who went to Auburn from Spain Park. Tim Tebow's mom was going to uh, – remember, Hoover was playing Tebow's team that year on national Play television. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I get a call from Tim Tebow's mom, kind of surreal, really, and she had talked to Neil Cottle's mom because Neil had been hurt a couple times in the Auburn games – his junior and senior year, I believe. So the Miss Tebow was worried that, that Tim was going to get hurt. So she called me to ask me if he was going to be safe. And I, you know, and I just seen the guy at a Nike camp. And I was like, oh, there, he's going to be fine. I mean, he's the biggest, thickest, strongest guy on the field. Um, just broke some weight uh, bench press record we had at the Nike camp in Tallahassee. Um, big, thick guy. But anyways, I got in with the family. They were good to me. Tim was good to talk to. I loved covering the recruiting um, so he got all the excitement from a national standpoint when he came for a visit. You know, ESPN was doing that whole big production of him. So it was a huge deal before a lot of huge deals. Now we're used to this. Kids are doing their own YouTube uh, show and documentaries. We've got a lot of those now, but wasn't nearly as big, uh, as popular as it was then. Andre Smith, to me, was the, the fun one to watch. He was the guy I first put in the Rivals database and put his film online and uh, you know, just a big kid, a fun kid, and a, a good family I love to watch. So those obviously were the two highlights, and it sort of breaks down from there with a lot of interesting characters. I mean, those two would have been the main star if this was a movie, and we have a lot of good role players. But, yeah, Tebow, that was – that was we had that – that's when me and, you know, Shannon Terry put the Tebow clock on Bama online. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, but let me tell you, that was not my – I mean, it was pretty popular. People were riding it. It was. It. Yeah. It caused anxiety. You don't want to count down to anything, I realized, um, if you're like a little bit of, you know anxious person like I was. But you go on that front page, and we had a clock, and it was counting backwards to the moment Tim Tebow committed. So uh, that, very interesting year at the top. That buildup was something else, and it kind of started, or at least a, a big part of it, was even in the 2005 season – when Florida came to Tuscaloosa in year one under Urban Meyer and was thrashed by Alabama at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Tim was in town uh, uh, as a visit, well, as unofficial visitor, I guess, uh, of the Crimson Tide at that time in the early portion of the 2005 season. But even at that game, Alabama fans were locked in on where's Tim Tebow. He was down on the sideline. He was over here. Uh, and it just festered amazingly from there. And you're right. Uh, you had already had the, I guess at that point, the game and 
in Hoover. And I remember going to that game and it wasn't played at the Met. Uh, they had to play it actually at Hoover High School. And it's still one of the very hottest on the field experiences I've ever had at a football game. Uh, and, and I think it was, it was right there at the kind of outset of these national high school matchups, right on ESPN, I think. Yeah, we had, that was a big one. Julio, a, a couple years later, you know, those are the mm-hmm. games I remember standing out. They started showing when it comes to Southern teams. Yeah, that was it. Hoover would jump in there, play some of the best teams in the country. They were on, it seemed every, you know, and then ESPN started putting on, Big name guys like Julio Jones going to Foley, which wasn't as popular. Obviously, Hoover, Hoover was a national power at the time. They weren't just a, you know, they were sort of what Thompson High School is right now. Um, back then, of national power, competing for top ten rankings and trying to win national championships. So everybody saw them. But then ESPN started branching out. We were able to see Julio Jones and guys like that. And now you, you know, you see even more. You know, you see a lot of high school games. You know, between the apps and the. Television is still showing them every week. ESPN and them still pick them up. Yeah, Tebow recently retired from professional baseball. And Tim? And who's the most surprised? The Mets. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the Mets organization had the worst month ever, and Tebow retired right in the middle of it. it got, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I, I Talk. the guy went three years in the minors, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was committed to it. It wasn't a stunt. You know, no. I mean, he, he legitimately gave it a shot. Same I said about Jordan when I'd watch him with, you know, in the Birmingham Barons is that these guys are seriously, I mean, obviously great athletes, but serious about baseball. Well, and they don't like to be embarrassed. I mean, a big part of who they are and how they've gotten there has to do with, uh, you know, some ego and some, some pride in what they do. And so, uh, yeah, that would make sense. But I also heard here in the last few days talking with some folks that would probably know uh, they're on Tebow watch to sign with the Jags down there in Northeast Florida, Tim. So just get ready. Taysom Hill, Tim Tebow with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Going to reunite maybe, Tim, with his old Florida coach, Urban Meyer. What do you think about that? That's a good, interesting point. I'd love to see what Sean Payton could have done with uh, with Tim Tebow, you know, because mm-hmm. he's a little bit ahead of the curve on how to use these guys. And you mentioned Andre Smith, just a phenomenal talent. And you're right. You, I remember vividly you kind of presenting him to us all uh, there later in his high school career in the Birmingham area. Just such a dominant force. It, I mean, you, you hate to laugh at the expense of, of high school players, but some of the things he did on film were they would make you laugh. I mean, it was you had to laugh. I don't even instance. think Andre ever put together a complete highlight tape. His highlights, just a few his, clips. His, his highlight tape was so good. Yeah. And on the Thursday night, I can't remember if it was against Park. Seems like it might have been against Parker. I can't remember. But the highlight tape was so good. You can hear me on the tape calling Shannon, telling him <laughs> the best offensive lineman ever. Yeah. Uh, like I've never seen anything like this. And you know, the next morning, I got up at six and drove to Brentwood, Tennessee, to the home office when we were at Rivals. So we could put the tape up of him. That's how excited I was for people to see him. Because back then I didn't know I could just slap it on and send it to somebody. And I probably couldn't have done it. But So I drove to Nashville. I was that excited. And I had people waiting in the office to watch it. So when they were blown away, this dude, he was uh, he's still the best offensive line film I've seen. And I'm not sure it's really that close, to be honest. And Alabama was in a position at the time where – 
Andre didn't even need to be Andre to jump right into that mix on that offensive line. But thankfully for that, that 2006, 2007, 2008 teams, he was certainly what we all, or you certainly expected initially. And the rest of us followed suit uh, because he was just absolutely dominant. And obviously a big part of the 2008 team that really signaled the arrival of the Nick Saban era in Tuscaloosa. And when you start to go down this list of, uh, additional 2006 class members, Nikita Stover at the time. I remember Nikita because of your coverage in large part uh, being considered to be one of the top wide receiver prospects in the Southeast coming out of Hartsel, uh, Alabama. Uh, had to go the the junior college route, right? Initially, and and you had a you had a pretty good seat, I think, for all that. Yeah, I love Nikita. He's one of my favorite guys to cover. He's just one of those good kids. This class was full of good kids. Not that the other ones aren't, but these guys, you know, a little bit less pressed than you than you're seeing for a lot of these uh, these guys in the uh, last four or five classes. So Nikita was a good guy, sort of hidden up there. Um, great athlete, good basketball player. Um, didn't qualify, didn't really take it as serious as he should. I was proud he went to Itawamba. You know, kids go into junior colleges and we never see them again. I mean, yeah. it happens. Back then, it happened all the time. It was almost like the Bermuda Triangle in Mississippi, Kansas Junior College. So Nikita went in, came back to Alabama. He's doing things. He's a trainer now, last I heard. Yeah. Some of him has a son that's getting on up there. So he was a big recruit. I mean, he was a lot of, you know, a lot of guys. He was very smooth. You know, the thing with Nikita is one of those things where, like, when he went to Itawamba, he was just, like, squatting his tail off. And he turned into basically – uh, safety in a lot of ways. He was, remember him at Alabama, he was a monster. He was thick. Um, he was thick. He was strong. He was, his lower base really, you know, you know, that could sort of lost a little bit of his explosion, but had a lot of that power, very natural gifted athlete. Yeah. Appeared in 33 games for Alabama. He averaged 15 yards per catch. Didn't have a ton of catches, but, uh, you know, five career touchdown receptions. He was sort of, he was sort of in that mix there from 2006 to 2008 where DJ Hall was still the the primary option at wide receiver. And then you got into Julio in 2008. So Nikita, Mike McCoy, Matt Cadell, some guys that we'll talk about, uh, you know, they were they were sort of in that mix as well. You know, this was also a time, Tim, where Hargrave military became very popular for Mike Shula staff and. Uh, we saw it with Brandon Fanny. We talked about recently the tragic passing of Lorenzo Washington. Washington, he too uh, went up to Hargrave in Virginia, but also a running back out of the Tampa area that sort of took the uh, the fan base by storm there. And Mike Ford didn't work out for Mike at Alabama. I believe he ended up at USF ultimately uh, back home near Tampa. So uh, I made a trip up to Hargrave. I think you did too. Uh, it became such a a central point and figure for, for some of Alabama's recruiting. Okay, I wanted to see him again in uh, East Carolina. That's where the uh, rental car girl and her boyfriend stole my credit card numbers. Ah, geez. $4,300 in pizza and cheap jewelry. Well, you know, do it big if you're going <laughs> to do it. Back, but it was hilarious because when I was calling them, they're like, hey, we're not sure who did it. We're going to look into it. Well, two weeks later, I got a statement. And it was all pizza and cheap jewelry. I said, dude, some 19-year-old boy has my card. They're, we're delivering the pizzas to the house of the kid. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, this is not going to – this could be a quick investigation. Here's the address. <laughs> they said, what makes you think he's young? I said, because no girl 
no woman would accept $89 jewelry 10 times as well. So, <laughs> yeah, Hargrave was big. Mike was sort of that legend. Big. You know, I did a Tampa run back in the day when we were across the street and just uncovered all kind of talent. It was crazy. I mean, Stephen Garcia, I mean, I could go through a million guys. Uh, Mike was there. It's funny because Mike, I hadn't even heard of Mike, but everybody I talked to, when I ask what school do I need to go to, what school do I need to see, who's the best players, Mike Ford, Mike Ford, Mike Ford, Mike Ford, Universal, 10 or 12 people. And, uh, I mean, there was guys down there, Stephen Garcia, Riley Cooper, you know, other guys we're going to get into, Mike Ford. There was a lot of good players in that Tampa area. So, you know, I didn't, unfortunately, I did get Mike's tape, but I wasn't able to meet with him. He was out of town for some reason, so I missed meeting with him. But, you know, quite the legend in the Tampa area, quite the legend at Alabama, you know, um, you know, never quite lived up to it. Obviously, it was a big bar, but very big name at the time. A couple of guys from the state of Mississippi that were at the time big pieces uh, to Alabama's recruiting effort. Justin Woodall, uh, safety from the Oxford area. Terry Grant, a running back from the Hattiesburg area. Woodall, I believe, was in continued to be, I think, uh, baseball, a big part of his deal. And as I recall in our conversations at the time, Tim, and maybe even talking with Justin myself, uh, post-signing, a lot of heat, I remember, on Justin Woodall to stay home. He took, you know, a lot of these kids take heat. <clears throat> I think you can look at it a different way. I don't consider it heat if you're a local kid and you go to you go to Publix and somebody says, go to Bama, go to Auburn. I don't think that's really heat, you know, but I think Justin took heat. Being right in the middle of Oxford, everybody telling him not to go. I remember Justin telling me, like, they were talking trash to him in the hall. And mm-hmm. um, he said, they scream it from afar, though. They don't get too close to me. And I said, isn't that annoying? He said, I ain't worried. None of them can whoop me. I said, Who? <laughs> nobody in the school can whoop me. He's, He's strutting around in his Alabama gear and everything at that school. Uh, Ole Miss made him a top priority. Terry Grant went through, went through that as well. Lumberton, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Miss. I mean, there were stories writing about – I mean, I did not think if Terry Grant left Southern Miss that their crops would grow the next year. They wrote stories like their whole city's dependence depended completely on Terry Grant. I mean, there was articles – every there was several articles saying how much he would mean to the area and the, the, the community. They kept saying the community. So – yeah, those two, a lot of pressure, a lot, a lot of pressure. And, you know, both of them, uh, Terry went on, as you know, was a leading rusher as a freshman, played some professional football too, right? I'm pretty sure I saw he was in Canada or something. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, he was the leading rusher for Nick Saban's first team at Alabama in 2007. Um, what all, you know, he, had, he ended up being a starter for Alabama on that 2009 national championship team, I believe, along with Rashad Johnson. So uh, he did some some really nice things. Maybe I'm maybe I'm mixing my years up a little bit, but I remember Justin seeing him the first time on a practice field as a freshman. Big safety, you know, six two ish, two hundred pounds. Just had an entirely different look than you know what Alabama had at the position at the time. No doubt about that. We talk about the big receivers or the strong receivers like Nikita. You also had a couple of those guys and Mike McCoy, another Mississippian, Earl Alexander from Phoenix City who I believe was a high school quarterback over there at Central, wasn't he? Absolutely he was. There were some projections there that he could be a quarterback because he had the size. You know what? 
I think Earl's a guy that if early in his career he'd have really focused on being a quarterback and people would have worked with him, I think he had a shot. He had a good arm. He's a big kid, 6'3", 6'4". Um, but, you know, he was at the time, he was nowhere near a polished quarterback, although he did some things. You know, he could make some big throws and he could he could um, pull the ball down, run a little bit. So I think that's why you saw him more at the wide receiver position. But he is a guy that has some potential there. And those guys, 6'3", 6'4", McCoy and Earl Alexander, they're kind of the Cam Sims before Cam Sims at Alabama. And then, you know, we talk about Tim Tebow. We've covered this before on previous podcasts. But I will say this. There were often times under Mike Shula where I didn't get the sense there was much of a contingency plan, Tim, when a prospect at a particular position didn't work out, certainly not to the extent, anywhere close to the extent of what we've seen from Nick Saban during his time at Alabama. But I will say this, as we've talked about before, there was a plan post-Tebow. It wasn't a situation where... uh, Shula and this staff, Dave Rader at the time, were left holding the bag because they did have, uh, they had Greg McElroy on the warmer. Now, Greg McElroy was ranked as the number 343 prospect nationally, the 13th ranked pro style quarterback. He came from a hell of a high school program in, at South Lake Carroll out in the Dallas area. And, um, you know, that, that obviously worked out well in being able to, to keep McElroy in the, in the mix there. You know, we got a little distracted because you had Chris Smelly right there in Tuscaloosa, mm-hmm. a four-star guy. He had SEC offers. So a lot of people just assumed that Chris was going to be the fallback guy because Alabama hadn't offered anybody else. That was the whole stick was we'll offer Tebow and nobody else. That's how bad we want you. Now, I do believe, and I've confirmed the rumors later on down the line with college coaches, Urban Meyer wasn't head over heels in love with Tim Tebow. That's not a rumor. That was a rumor at the time, and we heard discussion of that. I've confirmed with people that were on that staff that he absolutely was not head over heels in love with Tim Tebow at first, and that's where the disconnect came in. He wasn't felt he was recruited hard. Alabama went all in. Um, they had another quarterback. I can't remember. Didn't they sign two quarterbacks in that class? I feel like Alabama? No, Florida. Uh, gosh, I mean, Cam – wasn't that far away from that no, era, but I don't think he was 2006. So there was a lot of heat that Alabama could get Tim Tebow. Now, if Florida wanted him, now, I mean, once he got to it, I mean, the, you know, in hindsight, you know, talking to I mean, Tim Tebow, you know, you said it, but Tim Tebow grew up in Florida Gator onesies. You know, I talked to a college coach that visited Tim Tebow before his decision, and they had the Gator Wall apparently, like the Gator mailbox. They had a Gator mailbox. I think they had the (laughs) Gator flapping Gator in the yard when the wind blew. You know, the wind, whatever. And they had a Florida uh, Christmas tree, and um, that should have been a warning sign, but apparently it wasn't. But Alabama was all in at that point. Um, I think Tebow loved Mike Shula. I know he I know he loved Mike Shula. I think that's who he felt closest to. So there was a lot there, and we just assumed Chris Smelly, a guy in Tuscaloosa, would be the fallback guy. Now, a few days, a week or so before Tebow announces, Chris Smelly decides to announce, and he goes to South Carolina. So now we've got that's where we're at. Tebow or nothing. And then Tebow commits and me and you go, you know what? <laughs> There's gotta be somebody, right? <laughs> There's got to be, be somebody. No yeah, one. they're not going to stick Earl Alexander at quarterback. I don't yes, think. I mean, you were like, there's got to, because, you know, I'd been, I'd be honest, I was hyper-focused on Tebow. 
uh, New Smelly was around. So that was sort of my focus up until Tebow went to Florida. And we'll have nothing bad to say about Tim Tebow, by the way, because he drove traffic unlike any other at the time in the history at the time of. He doesn't have to work if he needs money. uh, (laughs) And the family, hey, and I'll tell you this, the family handled it great. And Tim Tebow is he was that way going into his sophomore year as he is now. He's that same type of dude when you talk to him on the phone. I think he's a genuine article. He was great. You know, he was great. We had more subs on the Alabama site the day after not getting Tebow than the Florida site had from getting him. I think people I think people are surprised by that, Tim. And and just in general, like when when things are good, they think the traffic is when it's at its peak. But it's really when things aren't good. At at a place like Alabama anyway, when there was all the the uh they love – you know what it is? They'll wait for tomorrow for the good news. I'll go to mm-hmm. bed. I'll watch the show my Bad news? Move over, lady. Watch <laughs> the show by yourself. I'm on BOL. Shit, you know, it's going bad right now. So, yeah. It's going down. You know? <laughs> so, then, yeah, so the quick switch. People like people like train wrecks. They do. Know? They slow. I mean, how many times have you been in a rubber rubberneckers? Internet rubberneckers is what they how are. How many times have you been on the inter, the interstate and been in a twenty minute delay so they can look mm-hmm. at a car on the side of the road looking for yeah. their trunk? And the whole time they're saying, "Oh man, this looks really bad." But oh, they just keep looking, you know. Having lunch, they're getting lunch. Yeah. The trunk, they're going to you got inter, interstate rubber neck, neckers and uh, internet rubber neckers, and so you know, we, we talked. We flipped over to McElroy that night. Yeah, there. yeah. I, I made the call out to Greg as I, I remember and absolutely asked him, uh, "You hearing from Alabama much?" And he said, "Oh yeah, I talk to Coach Raider every week." I said, "Well, there, there we I, go." You called me, and I called him. And then Alabama had offered, I think, in between your call and my call. (laughs) (laughs) And they had told the McElroy, the McElroy's had told Mike Leach, committed to Mike Leach at Texas Tech. And uh, Mike Leach and them had words. It was, it got heated to the point that dad took the phone from Greg (laughs) to tell me about it. So it was a, it was Mike Leach did not take, um, Alabama's involvement very well. He certainly didn't take him flipping very well. Um, I think Mike Leach knew Greg McElroy was obviously a pretty good quarterback um, and wanted to have him. But that was a that was that was a hectic, you know. And I think Greg slowed it down. Took a few days before he committed, but he had already made up his mind. I think yeah. uh, that he was coming to Alabama. Yeah, Mike was probably mad enough to lock Greg in that shed with uh, yeah. Craig James's <laughs> kid. I'm glad Mr. McElroy, Greg's father, and Mike didn't get near each other because Mr. McElroy was pretty, He didn't play that, no. He was pretty hot and bothered, and, and, and I believe them Leach was hot and bothered. So if we got two spe- you know, two feet of separation, I think they'll close that gap pretty quickly that night. They were they were hot. They were very, very hot. Speaking of guys who could close the gap, Javier Arenas, I think, qualified. Uh, Dave Unger, former special teams coach, tight ends coach at Alabama, did a really nice job in this class. And I know you were down there doing your uh, diligence and, and, and uncovering some prospects for us at the time at, at BamaOnline.com. But Javier Arena is certainly one of those guys, a guy in terms of the ranking system, wasn't a top 500 guy in the country, but Uh, questions about his size and really as much as anything projecting him positionally but 
as a kick returner, I think it was very clear to Dave and Alabama from the outset that this is a guy that could potentially go on to a historic type career. And that's what Javi did at Alabama. In addition to being a every down defensive back as he moved throughout his career, um, a guy that you still see in the record books for Alabama where punt and kickoff returns are concerned. Yeah, I think there's just a case. Where was he committed? Florida International or Florida Atlantic? You remember? Uh, I want to say FAU. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember. By a vowel, either way. I think the, this is the guy that committed, and he was just sort of wrote off. You know, I mean, there's so many guys to cover. I mean, you got a two, you know, put a two-star on him, he's committed. Nobody really looked at him. I don't think anybody saw his tape as far as evaluations go. And I'll be honest, I don't think a lot of college coaches – saw his tape either. I'm not sure the reason on that, but yeah, Dave Unger said, take a look at this guy. And I was watching him and I was, I, I that guy, the kid was a lot, very special with the ball in his hand. I remember asking, where's he going to play? And he said somewhere and hung up. So, um, wasn't a lot of concern. <laughs> he could end up as slot or the nickel or whatever athlete, punt returner, kickoff returner, you know, talking to the kid, he had a grown up vibe to him. You know, some kids just feel grown when you talk to them. Um, Javi had that very mature, grown-up, serious vibe. Um, still a kid, but a very mature, you know, mature, you know, kid. Um, but yeah, just a tremendous steal and a huge part of several Alabama teams. Yeah, it was actually Florida International that he was initially committed to because uh, he went on to return a punt um, for a touchdown against FIU when they made a trip to Tuscaloosa a year or so later. So. Javi between corner, star defensive back, the return game, an absolute home run. Another high-value guy that Alabama was able to, and at the time, as we've talked about on previous pods, not a lot of success in the Mobile area area for Alabama, but Preston Dial, uh, the tight end, comes out of Mobile. Again, not a highly ranked guy, but uh, during the course of his career, progressed nicely and was a big part of especially that 2010 offense. Yeah, when you talk about, you know, it's become a joke on the round table now, sort of, but when you talk about blue-collar guys, bring your lunch pail, do whatever they need to do, Preston Dial fits that bit, you know, exactly what, you know, that's exactly the definition of him. Saw it that way in high school. UMS Wright's really good school, well-coached. You saw Preston. Um, not ideal size, but he was big enough and the work, you know, you saw that he was willing to do a very willing blocker, you know, a guy that would go in and dig a guy that would live in the weight room. And it's not surprising. I'm thinking he's pretty successful. Last time I was in Mobile giving a speech, I think they told me he was doing really well, though. But uh, definitely one of those guys that paved a little bit of the way, as you said, sort of get your feet there. And a the guy Alabama needed. They needed somebody to block on that edge and catch a few passes. Yeah, they did, and uh, always a good guy. Yet some of these guys, they were—I recall them being exceptionally close in this class. Guys like McElroy, David Ross, the offensive line signee out of Homewood, Taylor Farr, uh, another offensive lineman, uh, Preston. Uh, remember going down to Mobile for the Alabama Mississippi All Star game that year, and, and Preston and a lot of those guys were down there, and kind of to swing back to that Tampa, St. Pete, Sarasota area one more time as we wrap up this 2006 look back on the college football recruiting front for Alabama. How about Marquise Johnson, man? I, look, I'm not saying he's the best player in that class. I mean, you're talking about Andre Smith at the top of the list, okay? Sure. But he might be my favorite one 
because this was an interesting cat. I think between the arts and football and uh, just how his career unfolded at Alabama, uh, he was a guy that you would pull for, Marquise. Oh, absolutely. He was, you know, I went to see, he's an interesting story. When I was on that same Tampa run, I went down there to see, uh, I think it was Sam Shields. And, um, yeah. Um, that coach was, and, I, and Sam was a big deal. I think he's still in the NFL. Big deal. Um, good player. He was fast. Uh, could make, he made a lot of plays, but he was a guy I was going to see more, not from an Alabama angle, but for a national angle. I was just trying to help, uh, other guys in the network and the coach said, Hey, I got a guy's as good as him. And you know, you hear that a lot. <laughs> you hear that a lot. You know, I hear a lot of guys going, Hey, you're here to see LeBron, but I've got a guy just as good. You know, you can, you hear it, not quite that extreme, but you hear it a lot. So I said, sure. I'll go take a look at him. Well, he just moved in, I believe from, uh, Orlando Edgewater sounds right. Um, mm-hmm. just moved in and man, he was, he, he had the look. <laughs> there was the, there was no doubt. I saw him and Sam doing work against each other. I saw him doing work. He had that size. He had that quickness. And a, a great kid. A great kid. It's one of the few times I really talked to him was during this cycle. But a great kid. Happy. Wasn't being recruited. And I think it was pretty common at that time for a lot of people to be coming to see Sam and not seeing Mark. I think I was the first one actually to be there. So it was pretty uncommon. Um, had a little bond. He was a good guy. But, yeah. Guy Alabama went in and got um, did a good job. And Dave Unger did a lot of work in that area uh, with kids. He was involved, like Stephen Garcia. I mean, South Carolina will. What Marv the quarterback from down there? Yeah, absolutely. And they and I still to this yeah. day believe Alabama could have got Stephen Garcia had they pushed. I know that story has long went away, but I feel pretty strongly that his father wanted him at Alabama. Um, and you know, Stephen went on and played against Alabama and had his best game of his career. Played three years. I think he started three years at South Carolina. So Dave Unger did some work in that area, and there was a lot. There was a ton of talent. I mean, you go to those schools. I mean, Riley Cooper was one. Um, you know, you you know, you walked up. Riley was one of the cockiest kids I ever met. You kind of knew he was big man on campus. Um, another legitimate baseball player. Obviously, went to Florida and played with the Eagles. So just a lot of talent in that Tampa area. You talk about South Carolina and Stephen Garcia. Marquise Johnson, I think as much as anything, will be remembered for that 2009 South Carolina game when he had a school record tying six pass breakups. Remember how Spurrier and Garcia kept going after, South Carolina kept going after Marquise with Alshon Jeffrey out there on the outside for the Gamecocks? And uh, Marquise answered the bell, man, that night in Tuscaloosa, I think most people obviously remember that game for Mark Ingram and his performance and how it pretty much spurred him onward towards the Heisman Trophy that year. But Marquise Johnson in 2009, 17 pass breakups. And when you look at this 2006 class, especially on defense in that national championship game win over Texas, uh, that season, that 2009 season, um, there's definitely some dudes that were a part of that. Marquise Johnson started that Texas game. Javier Arena started that Texas game. Uh, Justin Woodall started that Texas game. So three of your secondary starters from your 2009 uh, national championship game defense, all from this 2006 class. You want to add anything else, put a cherry on top of this baby, or you think we're good to move on, Tim? This class is just so, you know, you're looking back, it's definitely dating myself in this class where I 
Like David Ross was a kid I always felt had a lot of promise. Um, another good kid. Jack, David had that frat boy vibe to him. You know what I mean? He had parents were awesome. I think his dad actually won the lottery. You could know. I remember that. Yeah. Dad, because we had a uh, <laughs> mom and his parents were awesome. David was a cool kid. Um, and they invited us to their house uh, for the uh, commitment. And they're in like this Spanish casa type house. Beautiful house. <laughs> but I knew right away. I mean, they had Jim and Nick's catered in. This was not a normal uh, commitment. So I knew David was living life, you know, pretty good. I knew he was probably going to enjoy college. And that's probably what got him. But that was a nasty, that's a nasty interior lineman, David. He was mean. Those Homewood teams were really good at the time. David would get in you. He would he he, he would chase you down. So it's good visiting a lot of these guys. You know, it's very it's a very it's very Shula class where it's, you know he's got some great talent at the top, some hidden gems, and some guys that quite didn't pan out. So um, it's good to flash back to them all. Yeah, a lot of fun. Um, you know when you when you consider the class uh, as a whole, um, you had nine players that didn't crack the top 500 in the 24 seven sports composite rankings. That doesn't happen anymore around the Alabama program. And, and Taylor Farr, another one of those offensive linemen, I believe Taylor's doing really well these days uh, as an attorney down in the uh, Silicaga area. So that's Jake Jones, Joey's son was in this class. So it, yeah, yeah, it had, you know, the thing about this, the in-state group, if I remember correctly, Alabama only got one or two of the top 10 kids in the state. Andre was one. I feel like David or somebody might've been in the top 10 in the state. And then they got a few outside of the top 10. Earl was a top 15 or 20 type in-state guy. They, the in-state wasn't very good to Alabama. I mean, that was, that was a, uh, they had to go out of state. You see them hitting the Tampa area hard. You see a lot of kids from Mississippi, um, you know, obviously Florida hard. So very interesting class. Sticking with the recruiting theme, Tim, but uh, fast forwarding to the class of 2022. Big announcement coming up on Friday afternoon, 2 p.m. Central on CBS Sports HQ. Ty Simpson, an Alabama quarterback target, from Martin, Tennessee, set to make his announcement. It was delayed by a week. I think the weather and some of that stuff, I guess, Tim, played a role in that last week. But Steve Wiltfong does an outstanding job for us at 247sports.com. Had an interesting update for our subscribers here in the last day or so that really highlighted the fact that, by all accounts, apparently, Nick Saban has really made Ty Simpson a priority probably throughout the process, but in reading Steve's update, uh, he's called him every day for a week or they've been in contact every day for a week. That, I guess that tells you where, where Ty Simpson sits on the, uh, quarterback board. Yeah. I think Nick Saban does one of the things he does best. He didn't last class and obviously he's a great recruiter, but I think his sense of timing is as good as anybody's when to push, when to talk to a kid, when to level him up and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you, you, you know, you can, I don't want to say waste time. I mean, you can spend a lot of effort recruiting kids and it not really matter because, you know, they are kids. They're young. They're young teen, they're older teenagers. Um, they're going to remember basically the last thing you say to them. You know, that's why that's why most parents say the most meaningful thing when they're walking out the door. Like, wear your seatbelt. You don't tell them that when they wake up in the morning they're at the house. So I think Nick Saban's timing is impeccable with talking to these kids. And don't get me wrong. Dabo's a great recruiter. Clemson's a good pro- great program. Um, they're doing the same thing, but I just think Saban 
being heavily involved. And we said this about the last year's class. He was more involved, I would guess, than any class he's ever been involved, ever recruited because he had no spring football. He had nothing to do in the summer. He had all the time in the world to recruit. And I think we saw that. So I think, you know, again, um, it's not surprising. Bill O'Brien, I've heard Bill O'Brien's did a fantastic job with the family. It's a lot of twists and turns. Considering before Jeremy Pruitt was fired, a lot of people, including myself, felt he was going to Tennessee, um, you know, pretty close to a lock. They had a close relationship with uh, Jeremy Pruitt. So now, you know, you're basically hearing this Alabama, it's Clemson. I lean, Hank South's got a crystal ball on uh, Alabama for Simpson. Didn't say it's a lock. He just said he feels that's where he's leading. I, I agree. I think Alabama's trending there right now um steve feels that way too but again it's recruiting you know sometimes the trending is the trending isn't the actual the trendy you know sometimes that's (laughs) um and kids want to keep it a secret so but i think alabama regardless has did a great job yeah it sounds like clemson is uh very serious about ty simpson as well based on steve's update the university president at clemson has actually been in contact (laughs) With Ty Simpson, so uh, uh, Clemson, as you said, Tim, uh, just reading and keeping up with it from the outside. Uh, Tennessee, obviously, with Jeremy, was a big part of this thing. Is at this point, is it safe to say, Tim, that Ty Simpson is the only quarterback on the board with a committable offer, or might there be another guy or two in that mix? Now, I think with quarterbacks, they do have a you know, a, a, a fall down effect on the offers. I think Simpson's obviously the top priority. They will want a quarterback in this class. I think they want a quarterback in every class, of course. So if they don't get Simpson, they'll have a guy, or maybe they want to take a little more time to evaluate. Remember, there's a lot of recruiting in this class right now. If it don't change, this is a lot of like a dating profile recruiting going on. Cause you don't know how old that picture is. You're looking at on that dating profile. These <laughs> kids have changed since you saw them. You haven't seen some of these kids since they were 15 and 16 pounds. And Alabama recruited a guy, Desmond Watson, who ended up at Florida. He was like 350 pounds. He went, went into Florida. I think the Florida site reported 430 pounds. Kids. Wow. Taller kids can get heavier, kids can get skinnier. I mean, there's so much that can happen. And, you know, there's a lot of assumption with recruiting. If you like, you see a kid, I used to deal with this a lot. If you see a kid, he's six foot six as a freshman, they go, oh, well, he's going to be six nine. Well, that's not really how it works. You know, Dennis Rodman was like a uh, sweeping brooms at some place working as a janitor when he shot up six or eight inches. David Robinson was in the submarine. So you don't really know when they're going to grow. So you're not sure if that 5'11 guy's still 5'11. He might still be a 5'11 quarterback. So I'm curious to see if they slow things down. I think they know enough about Simpson to like him. And some of these guys, you know, you can tell by their size. And I'm sure they've got ways getting height and weight. But there's a lot of blind, you know, there's a lot of blind dating going on with this recruiting class. Last class, you had at least seen a lot of these guys the year before. This class, it's been two years. There was nothing done from the majority of these guys last year, nothing. So they hit their senior year, heading into their senior year, so there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, Tanner Bailey, obviously sort of a local prospect of note right up the road there, at across the road there at Gordo High School. Uh, I know we've updated him there at BamaOnline.com here in the last couple of days. Is he is he legitimately very much on that radar, Tim? Yeah, I think he's a, he's a guy that Alabama staff likes. 
Um, don't know if his offer's committable right now. Again, we're fo- you know, Simpson would be the guy. He's one to watch if something, you know, Simpson goes sideways and they don't end up getting him, though. But um, he's a kid definitely familiar with the in-state schools, and in-state schools are familiar with him. So, And there'll be guys to shake out. I mean, does Alabama ever get a quarterback this early? I mean, it seems like, you know, they had Drake May. They ended up with Bryce. I mean, they ended up with uh, Jalen Milrow, you know, later on. They uh, had uh, Carson Beck, Jake Fromm. Yeah. A lot of these guys is almost the appetizer for who Alabama's going to sign. Um, you know, so nothing. They're really going to get, yeah. Yeah, there's something, you know, you end up with a different quarterback down the road. Not to say that was Simpson, but I think the Simpson family definitely takes this process very seriously. I mean, they're definitely doing their due diligence. So I would I would expect, although it's recruiting, you can change, I would expect their, their decision's final. But we saw that last year. You know, Clemson had that air of invincibility. You know, they, they never lost a recruit. They lost a couple of recruits, including uh, the number one guy in the country, Corey Foreman. They lost a defensive back Alabama liked in Jordan Hancock. So, um, you know, this is it's just a weird recruiting for these kids. My son's going through it with baseball. It's just very odd what they're having to deal with. I mean, you're asking them to commit to schools they've never been to. I mean, there's a lot of kids in the South that might love Michigan, Ohio State, Southern Cal. There's a lot of guys in Southern, you know, California that might love Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and they just, you know, they just don't get out here to see it. We're going to have all that coverage, obviously, of the Ty Simpson announcement on Friday afternoon for you on 247sports.com, but specifically – the home to the Alabama Crimson Tide on the network. Of course, BamaOnline.com will have that for you on Friday afternoon with the five-star 24-7 sports composite quarterback for the 2022 class, Ty Simpson. As we get out of here, Tim, for the big question of the day, we go off the beaten path, as we typically do here on the podcast from time to time. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, his, uh, his top role in uh, cinema, or I guess, you know, he did some television work, too, uh, very early on. What do, you, what do you got at the top of the Leo list for you? Man, I don't, you know, The Wolf of Wall Street's the one that jumps out to you. I think that's pretty famous. But, you know, I always love the, uh, uh, the different roles. He reminds me of Brad Pitt. I don't think Leonardo or Brad Pitt get as much respect. Maybe they do now than they did because they're really too good looking. You know, they're too good. They don't take them seriously as an actor. But these guys have played so many different roles. Uh, um, Gangs of New York is one of my favorite. You know, we love the city of New York and that's sort of a early history of it. Uh, Django Unchained is un- un- unbelievable. I mean, he's really good in everything. This boy's life. He's good in all of it. I know a lot of people say the Titanic. I actually think that's probably his least stretching him acting as a good looking young guy chasing a girl. That was probably he didn't yeah. even. He didn't even know they were filming it. That was him at the time. So that's not a role. But now what you see, these other roles, um, Inception, Shutter Island, I mean, it stands out to me. If I had to watch one, and another underappreciated one that I've seen a dozen times is The Aviator. And that's sort of the the bio of Howard Hughes, who is one of the most. Any of you guys that don't know Howard Hughes, Wikipedia, that dude was had a life. That dude had, <laughs> that dude, that dude had one of the most insane lives of anybody i'm you know i was I, I was a big fan fell in a rabbit hole with him so um you know if i had to choose a movie you said hey tim which Di, you know dicaprio movie are we watching i'd probably say gangs in new york we're the kind of guys that like that 
that uh that yeah that, bloodshed. That's probably my favorite movie that he's in. But damn, Daniel Day Lewis steals everything. He's right. Perfect. I mean, Bill the Butcher in that is just haunting. Haunting. He, it's <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. I wake up thinking about that eye, that yeah. one eye that Bill had, and the you way know? he talked, and the way you. I mean, everything. Morris had everything, and you know, Jeez. Leonardo, and you know that tells you what a good actor he is because he can stand up to Daniel Day Lewis and hold his own, which is no easy task. Daniel Day while Lewis, also not while also not trying to to overdo it. You know what I'm saying? He's he's got uh, he's got a he's got a sense of security within himself. Absolutely. That he can give that other person room, right? Yeah, and there's the movie uh, The Departed with Jack Nicholson held his own. Yeah. You know, as a veteran as they come, and well, uh, once upon know. a time in Hollywood here, yeah. most recently with Brad Pitt. That's you know, I, I thought yeah. they were great. He's got that that air for a younger guy. He did this when he was young, younger. He's in the movie. What's the movie with Marky Mark? Basketball Diaries or something? Yeah, the Basketball Diaries. Yeah, was a he was a haunting guy. I mean, when you see him. Um, you know, and then of course there's his pretty boy roles with like the, uh, what's the movie, uh, the great Gatsby, you know, the great, Mm -hmm. he did that and what's eating Gilbert grape. A lot of people, you know, thought, you know, like that one, tell you one that's good, really, really good slept on. And I don't really see a lot of people that seen it is this boy's life with Robert De Niro and Ellen. That's probably my favorite role. It's it's really his breakout role in 93. He's a friggin' child, and he is going head to head with with, with uh, Bobby. Yeah. Yes, and Bobby, he dude, and, that's great. And, He's great as Dwight. What's it, Dwight's turn? What's it, Dwight's turn? <laughs> he into that dude, I love that scene. That describes this, you know, so many. Uh, you know, and I hit him in the mouth. You know, he starts talking crazy. Yeah. Ellen yeah. Barkin is no amateur. Ellen Barkin's great. Yeah. She's no amateur. She is fantastic as well. So. Um, for him to hold up that that young, I mean, it's not a. It's, I think it's based on a true story. It's not like an uplift. I mean, it's an uplifting movie. It's got some depression and some bad stuff to some degree. But I mean, I it's the, you're going to be hard pressed for you. There's not really a movie you can say with DiCaprio that I said I, that I'll say I hate it. I think he was in some horror movie. I didn't even know he was in Critters Three. Yeah, that was early. I think he he is brutally believable. In Django Unchained as Calvin Candy. Oh, that, yeah. to me, uh, there, there's people who try to, you know, actors that try to do the Southern thing and from the accent and everything else, but he crushed it. Uh, again, brutally so in that role as I, Calvin Candy. Yes, looked the part, acted the part. Don Johnson was really good in that. Uh, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. kind of stole it, but yeah. <laughs> Kidding, Samuel L. Jackson. You know they had the whole thing in there where I was seeing afterwards. He cut his hand in that. Remember that scene where he's got his hand cut, right? Like having it out in the parlor, and he he actually really cut his hand, and they just kept rolling. Wow. Reminds me of Brad Pitt in Seven. You know he broke his arm legitimately running in that scene chasing Kevin Spacey when he just. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but he uh, chasing Kevin Spacey and he jumped over that roof of that car in the rain. And he fell. Mm-hmm. I think he broke his arm. Ended up. Remember, he ended up in a cast. Yeah. He's yeah. not breaking stuff, dude. If I break anything, y'all are hella vacking me and giving me morphine. If I stub my over t- the over the mountain to UAB. Yeah. Yes. Morphine. Straight in. Get me to UAB. There we go. Great. Uh, 
we're gonna we're gonna get Tim Watts out of here safely uh, after that. So we'll uh, we'll look forward to catching up again next week. Tim, uh, anything you want to throw in here as we again get ready for a big recruiting announcement on Friday? And of course, we're gonna have you covered. Alabama men's basketball looks to wrap up that first SEC regular season championships since 2002. So spring football not all that far off on the horizon. Still plenty of stuff to get into, Tim. Right there with us at BOL. Absolutely. Recruiting is going to pick up and, you know, we're really going to wait and see to see will they have camps and what they're going to do. I mean, they've got to let this class somehow, some way, they've got to figure out a way to let these kids visit in in some kind of safe fashion. They've got to be able to take visits. There's got to be exceptions made. You can't just lock this class up. The last class wasn't good for most of those kids. We saw a lot of unofficial visits um, in, you know, in some places and not so much at others, but they, they really need to come up with some way to help these kids out because the visits are about the kids, not the school. I mean, you right. don't know what you don't know. I mean, there's a lot of 18 year old kids that have never left their hometown. You know, we're talking, I mean, I was a kid that didn't go. Well, look at JT Tui Malao. Did you think I wasn't going to get that in, by the way, in a podcast? I mean, yeah. look at what he's trying to work through still with the 2021 class. Yeah, I mean, that's I don't blame him. You know, I mean, I've seen some people upset on different message boards about him waiting. I don't blame him. I mean, I would be tempted to wait till August unless I knew my kids are going to be more most familiar with Alabama, Auburn, UAB. Um, they've been to a couple other places, but that's the three they're going to be. If they're choosing among those three, we can hop in a car. We can go see them. We've seen enough of them. We know what we're doing. But if I have a kid who's looking and he wants to, you know, his stream schools are Texas, USC, Ohio State. I never have a kid like that. But if I did, <laughs> we'll call him Heather's child, not Tim's child. But uh, my stepchild. Yes, yeah. the one they claim is my mama's baby. <laughs> but if he wanted to take those visits, I mean, it'd be hard for me to encourage him just to go to Bama, just to go to Auburn, just to go to UAB. Because I, I mean, you know, these kids, you know, they can know more of what they want than what we want in a lot of cases. So I at least want them to see, because you don't want them throwing it up in your face. You made me go to UAB. I could have been a contender. I, <laughs> I don't need the Marlon Brando speech because I didn't. <laughs> uh, is that on the waterfront? That you're, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Hey, uh, that's going to do it for the latest edition of T-Watts and TR on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? We'd also greatly appreciate it. If you'd leave us a rating and a review while you're there, Tim, always a lot of fun. Look forward to doing it again real soon. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. There he goes. Tim Watts. I'm Travis Schreier. Keep it locked. AlabamaOnline.com for all things Alabama Crimson Tide. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. 
Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.